Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, fantastic. You know, we were thinking it's just, it gets drab around here when it's just Dave and I, doesn't it? Come on. We know that's the boring. These guys. Yeah. Uh, and and we, we, we reached to the very top of our guest list and plucked off the best possible guest we can get, which is Ben Hong. How you doing, Ben? Thanks for joining us on Shop Talk Show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you know, I, um, I'm like pro view. Like, I feel like everything view does has this glow of positivity to it, <laughs> which is uh, just a, a little hard to pull off in web dev sometimes, but y'all managed to do it. You're on, you are, you are part of view, right? That's right. I'm part of the view core team. Um, my work specifically usually handle uh, revolves around the docs. Um, and so uh-huh. do a lot of work with Sarah, um, Natalia and on the team on that. It's been great. Yeah, there, I mean, that was a lot of work, right? Because there's somewhat recently, although I don't know how you all think about it, like um, Vue 2 to 3, right? That was like a super yep, duper mm-hmm. big deal. I think if you go to the Vue docs right now, it defaults to 2, right? So what's up with that? <laughs> well, what's up with that is um, one of the things, the choices we made when it came to releasing Vue 3 is that we knew that there were, it was good for like new projects, but we weren't necessarily ready for people to do like a full migration from Vue 2 to Vue 3 because whether it was having migration tools or just like, better extensions around that like because like the dev tools were still being developed vuex was still being finalized so we didn't yeah. want people to get like the wrong idea so that's why the view to the version two for view is like the main docs right now but we're basically like in the near future we'll be releasing those docs merged together um once we have a finalized version out merged together yes <laughs> wow Ooh, okay so have the v2 and v3 docs all at that same url so you don't have to go to v3 oh I, I see i thought you were saying that there wasn't even gonna be a difference between two and three docs oh. just be <laughs> no i wish if only it was that easy i mean a lot of it is the same but there are so many new things with view three it would be uh it would be irresponsible <laughs> to mislead all the view two users to thinking they had everything that view three has uh, like uh, yeah what's the like sentiment around view three obviously like a new kind of uh what would you call it like hooksy style <laughs> uh, api um but like is is the adoption kind of what you're seeing is that what you expect or is that sort of I don't know. Are you in a Python two three situation, or or what's going on there? Yeah, I think we're in. As far as adoption goes, I think the people who were ready to kind of jump in and start experimenting with have gone ahead and done that. But I think the one thing we've we knew that was going to happen was more like enterprise level applications are waiting a little bit more on this because a lot of the major dependencies, like people using Vuetify, or example, those who want to use Nuxt for you know all the static side generation, that kind of stuff is actually still in development. So. In that regard, we're still in a little bit of a holding pattern as far as like the whole ecosystem moving forward as a unit. Yeah, I think that's been my experience. I, I have a couple Nuxt projects, and I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm like locked <laughs> <laughs> until a, a big update. But I think there's a big update coming. But um, yeah, but like I'm just kind of like stuck, you know, and and feeling it a little bit. Not not big, but well, let's know, talk about that that like kind of greenfield versus not idea a little bit because i think that's view but i think all of us just generally as developers think about that you know like if you have this existing project the you know the calculus changes as people like to say about what what is appropriate and not appropriate to start with and then you know you can kind of sit there and fantasize oh but what would i do if i could just do anything i wanted mm, anything i would definitely use view 3 right cuz why would i start on the old version and you're saying but if we scope the conversation to just view maybe it's like is there a bunch of applications that are like why even change it all like screw it right yeah and is view like is okay with that? Because there's definitely some frameworks that are like you should definitely move to the new version because we're gonna end of life the old version. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean a big one of the things I love about the view ecosystem is that we want to let people be able, like stay on those versions without feeling like they really need to like jump that version. So for example. Uh, the fact that there is a Vue 2 plugin for Composition API means that for those who feel like the Composition API can really help them, like, call it make their application more flexible, like, there's a way to do that in Vue 2 without moving your whole application in Vue 3. 
Um, and so for mm. a lot of those things like that as well, um, one of the things we're also planning as a team is that there will probably be one final minor release for Vue 2, which will contain a lot of features from Vue 3 backported. Now, granted, you might lose some, like you won't have like necessarily the native reactivity that comes with Vue 3 and some of those performance optimizations. But from like a feature set, and if your site doesn't really need like, call it, it's already in a stable version and you're not doing any major feature development on it, it might not really make sense to like obviously take a whole, you know, effort to do that. So we want to give people those options without feeling the FOMO of like, oh no, I can't use anything from Vue 3 kind of thing. I see. That's pretty rad. That's like, seems like... Yeah, it's not every day, like, you know, people are like, you know, we're going to put all the features of what React 19 in React 16, just because we th- we figured out we could do that. But, but they're like, what are the differences between view two and view three like what what are the like oh no's yeah i could i absolutely don't know the answer to this and i would love to so i would say there are probably three things in particular that would make the difference um is that w- the first of which being if you want to use typescript in view two or nux two this has been kind of notorious as far as not being the most ideal experience because it kind of needed to kind of be hacked in and then if you were doing stuff with like global stores it was just kind of a bit of a mess working with that now with view okay i hate typescript (laughs) so i'm that's fine i'll stay on youtube go ahead but at least for those who are like especially some like i know people who are considering view at the time for building apps they were like we want to use typescript so if the experience isn't great on view 2 we'll wait for view 3 so that's why i think there'll be probably a wave of adoption in that in that regard so the other thing i would say the big thing after that is this new style of architecting your app via the uh, composition API. So what Dave mentioned earlier regarding like sort of hooks like for those familiar with the React side of the things. And so, but the thing is, is that we did want to make it available for Vue 2. So I mentioned there is a plugin, but that's what Vue 3 kind of introduced, right? As like a out of the box um, enhancement. And we're also doing things as well as like trying to make it more performance. So it's actually, I believe Vue 3, even with all its features, is actually a decent percentage smaller than Vue 2 out of the box. So if you're really trying to fine tune performance and that kind of stuff, that you would get out of the box with Vue 3 with better um, code splitting and that kind of stuff. But um, I would say, honestly, those are probably the main two things, or I guess three things, right? I said TypeScript, Composition API, and like the bundle size are probably the first three things that would probably stick out to people when it comes to like the difference between the two. But you're saying some of that Composition API is kind of getting shimmed backwards? Exactly. Yep. But you probably lose the tree shaking. Right. Exactly. And then there are some new fine tuning done with Vue 3's reactivity system. So things in Vue 2 that you'd have to set for like, I believe like objects, you had to do a little bit weird things with like some of the nested stuff. It just works naturally as you would expect in Vue 3. So you do lose some of that as a result. But at the same time, like if you're you're starting a new project, you know, and you don't have to worry about all the Vue 2 dependencies, then I think Vue 3 is great, especially with, we'll probably talk about this later, but the Vite project, which Evan, who created Vue, for those who don't know, um, started, and that's like a whole thing going on right now, too. That's a whole wave. There's so many directions to, t- to take this, but let's do that, because it, is that related to Nuxt? Because Nuxt 3 is not yet out. Is the point of Nuxt 3 that it's going to use Vue 3 and then thus Vite also? Yeah. So the thing about, um, yeah, Vite, so Vite, sorry. Vite, Vite, you know, it's yeah. all good. <laughs> it's just for those who don't know the view. Yeah. Um, I think Evan takes all his names from the French pronunciations. So, um, so Vite, yeah, Vite is actually separate from Vue, which is one of, I think, the nice things about the, the tooling. And we'll speak about why shortly. But for the next three question you had specifically, Chris, uh, next three is not necessarily dependent on the Vite side of things. I think it is going to have support for Vite. But um, the main thing is that it will use Vue 3 underneath, and it will also have a brand new rendering engine underneath. They're calling it Nitro. Um, and so that's going to be one of the big things coming forward with Next 3. Mm-hmm. Not a French name. There. No. <laughs> Not, didn't go French. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Vite seems like it's a it's a big deal, and it's pretty cool that it's not so tied to Vue because it means that yes. other people can take care of it. Is this one of these things that's built on um, what do they call it? the Go thing? ES Build. ES Build. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I like that makes me really excited about Vite, and so for those who don't know, think of it like an alternative to Webpack in a little bit, like a different way of bundling dependencies and that kind of stuff, um, and like hot module reloading and stuff, but. It's nice to see the web community kind of converging on this so that it's no longer like a view tool. Like the React community seems to be coming in on it, Svelte. And it's nice seeing everyone get along and <laughs> try to work towards a common goal together. For once, yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I've been nuts to, again, like got two projects right now, uh, you know, and, uh, I think it was yesterday. It was like, can't get property zero of undefined. And I'm like, where dude. And I look at the console and it's just like bundle dot line 9,000, you know? And I just yeah. was like, I'm never going to find this, you know? And, and like, I just had to like, you know, do the like old HTML thing where you like, you comment out big blocks of code, you know, to just find out where it's kicking, you know? And then I just was like, I, but V, I feel like this is me. I think it solves that because it's the packing doesn't happen until later. Like it's very late in the process and it's, I don't, it doesn't feel like it like chews up all the files all every single time, or even in the, the production bundle, it's a little more linear to what I just authored. And so I don't know. I'm excited about that, but cause it was just like, dude, this is wherever this error is, it's somewhere, but I figured it out, but I had to do a weird thing, but anyway, but this episode of shop talk show is brought to you by the wordpress.com growth summit. It's wpgrowthsummit.com. I've gone the last couple of years to this and I love it. The interesting voices they get. A lot of people from, you know, the wordpress.com side, automatic WooCommerce and stuff. And then interesting people who are, have done and are building interesting businesses online. The amount of cool voices I have heard at it has been spectacular. It's coming up August 17th and August 18th, uh, depending on which day is like what part of the world you're in, really. So like if you're in the Americas, like me, it's from 11 a.m. to 4.30 uh, Eastern time, which translates pretty nicely Pacific time, too. So it just depends there. And the Asia Pacific side is on the August 18th. So, you know, it's a kind of a a one-day hitter with lots of interesting stories. So it'll kick off and then there'll be story, you know, personal stories of achievements, you know, dealing with business growth in the digital world, growing your audience, growing your online business, all kinds of uh, voices to to level you up there. It's just 25 bucks and just a chunk of one of your days. And I'm telling you, it's a great conference. So check out WPGrowthSummit.com. I got a question for y'all on the next thing, because while we're still on it before we, because there's so many things to talk about in my brain, there's these three view projects that all seem super related that I don't really understand what the point is or which ones are blessed and which ones aren't and all that. Nux gets talked about the most. It has a crap load of GitHub stars. I think of the three, it's the highest, but the three are Nuxt, ViewPress, and Gridsome. And maybe there's even more, but they they're all like, super similar seeming to me and I just don't get it. But not that there's not like 20 times more for React. It's not like a view problem. It's just like that's what happens in my brain. Yeah. So I guess to differentiate between the ones you've mentioned. So uh, let's start with Nux, right? Because that's like the, the hard hitter. That's basically like the top meta framework for view. So it really helps as far as like um, routing extensibility from like SEO and making things like it's just, it's a really phenomenal framework. They've done a phenomenal job with the DX of it. I mean, I could go on with like the modules they've created for like, so for example, recently they created, came out with Nuxt Image, which makes it so easy to create responsive images with one like global component. Dave, if you haven't tried that yet, you got to get on that. <laughs> I, I haven't. I need to because I think I have a project that could use it. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, it came out like mid project i think and that's why i just was like i can't do new. perhaps the obvious thing too is that nux kind of takes its name from next which next is like a very beloved framework from react and does a lot of similar things the routing and the images and the static builds and all that stuff and as far as i'm concerned is also a phenomenally well done project so it's cool that they stay in in step like that um cool so there's nux and that's from for lack of a better word, y'all, right? Like that's Vue Core or not really? Or? No. Big V. Big no, yeah. it's not. It, no. it's, it's outside okay. of the Vue Core team. So this is, uh, so Sebastian and uh, Alex uh, Chopin, uh, they're two brothers who started the project and they've been basically a part of the community this whole time, but they are their own entity. And I believe mm. actually they even raised money recently. So they're actually their own company and everything. 
Oh, fascinating. I love the business angle to stuff like this because it's always so curious, you know, in tech, it's, it's like, you know, I don't know. People used to make fun of, of, of software that was like, what's your, you have it seemingly on the surface, no business model at all. And I've been seeing it more and more lately. Not, not necessarily accusing them of that. Cause I don't, I have no idea what it is, but it is so interesting when, you know, what is, you know, Gatsby took a zillion dollars and all these, you know, it's interesting when, when frameworks like this take, take money, it's like, you wish you could have their slide deck. Cause you're like, what did you, what did you say? I want to be able to say that what stuff. And then knowing Zach words, from 11. What combination of what combination of words gets me 50? Yeah, exactly. Dollars. I really, I would and somebody like tell know. Zach because he needs to know the words. Cause I don't <laughs> think that's what he's looking for, but he's all, every time it happens at 11, I hear him or at, on the web, I hear him cracking jokes about 11. Like, Hey, right here. Also have static site generator. Don't have millions of dollars. Uh, okay, so what? But ViewPress has Evan's name at the bottom of it. So. That it does. So um, ViewPress, a little un- unfortunately named. That did not follow the French naming theme because um, a lot of people were like, "Oh, ViewPress is WordPress plus View." That was like everyone's initial reaction. It is not That's that. It, right? It's the no? farthest thing from oh. it. It's basically an opinionated static site generator that takes a series of markdown files. And just spits them out on the page directory. So Jekyll or 11D for view. Right. But one step further in that the theme is opinionated to being more documentation oriented. So it was like the built-in sidebar, the built-in search. Like It's really designed to make docu- making documentation side a lot easier. So I think actually React's equivalent might be Docusaurus. Um, and so that's basically what it is, an opinionated doc site generator. And so ViewPress has VPress. So those are the two parallels. Okay. But every like view site you go to uses this. I think even the Nux site is view process. So <laughs> they're coming out <laughs> like, with a tool actually. So they, based on their Nux content module, they came out with a tool called Docus. And so they'll be releasing kind of their own opinionated docs generator as well. So that's something we can look forward to from is the it total? Is it, does it hydrate as they say, view press or no? It is supposed to, but. Well, the funny thing about ViewPress is it was kind of like um, Evan's like brainchild after like a weekend of hacking. And it was like, look at this thing I built. And then it like gained popularity. Yeah. So it, it's kind of funny. But I would say for a lot of people, um, if they're starting a brand new doc site, ViewPress is probably where they want to go. Because I think ViewPress at the rate it's going will most likely be deprecated in favor of ViewPress. Uh, just for like internals and that kind of stuff. And more importantly, like depending on levels of customization, you may eventually want to look into the Nuxt opinionated side because these are sort of like side projects that were sort of experimented with and are very good for the use cases it was designed for, but not necessarily designed to be like an entirely mm. plug-inable ecosystem. Yeah, you got to be careful when you're a mad scientist genius with a huge Twitter following, Evan. <laughs> can't just tweet stuff. Although I think he's learned... Can't just make yeah, I think he, he learned that because I remember the first tweet for... Um, what's the little one? Petite view, which we'll get to. Maybe let's not go there. Yeah, he was very careful. He's like, this is not open source yet, you know. But I'm just telling you about it, but don't use it, you know. <laughs> yeah, it didn't even have a npm package. He he just made it with no npm package and was like, don't. Yeah, he probably learned the view press lesson. This. Like, I'm not ready for this to be an entire thing, please. Uh, but I don't know. That's putting words in his mouth. Uh, but let's before we go there, let's wrap it up with Gridsum. That seems more clearly not a core deal. Correct. That is another as a third party framework that uh, basically think they we saw the view community saw what was really great about Gatsby and was like, what if we make a view equivalent with like a oh. built in GraphQL API and that kind of stuff. So mm. that's Gridsum. If like if you really like Gatsby and you want to try the view equivalent, then I would say Gridsum is uh, your match. Um, I would say it hasn't been as actively maintained. So that's the thing about things like Nux. Nux has like a team that's paid to like work on that constantly. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's as popular as it is, is because they've just been phenomenal with support and that kind of stuff. Right. And, and now they have theoretically millions of more dollars. So it's right. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was a sad day for Goodsome, I'm sure, but still has 7,000 GitHub stars. So maybe yes, they can do yes. something with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, my friend Zach built it, his site on Gridsome. And loves it. He he even tried all the other stuff, and he just was like, "This yeah. one fits." Yeah, me. there you go. See, I think that's what's great about having choice. Cool. Yeah, I like the. I don't know. I don't know what to think. The 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 Gatsby thing was so interesting, but the like 
and even as a fan of GraphQL as I am, the the like the forcing of GraphQL in their special way yeah. is always like it doesn't sit bad with me in like a I hate this kind of way. It just sits bad with me in like I'm not sure that's how I super want to roll. Right. It makes it hard for me to recommend, especially for people who are newer to their sites. So like, I want to build my portfolio and I'm new to web dev. I'm like, I'm not going to add a whole nother like endpoint system to what you need. Even to for an image, it's like, well, you got to have a GraphQL file, like query for your image. You're like, no, no. <laughs> link to source static done i'm tired yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so that's the three i think that was explained very well um that's nice and then we talked about how v view three is smaller how appealing is that smaller we've had evan on the show before too and he, he said some really cool things about how view is pretty dedicated to being able to work in the browser itself, you know, React can do that yeah. too, but it's kind of like wink, wink, never do this. You know, like that's not <laughs> a good vibe. I I actually get angry when certain apologists <laughs> online are like, "See, look, I use React without a build process." I'm like, brother, <laughs> no one does. Well, because you kind of need the JSX I, too, right? So you got to at least do Babel to get the JSX. Exactly. So that's not mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lighter ways to do JSX. And I think they're they're moving to a more abstracted version. Whatever. I'm not trying to be the apologist. I just say that because I run CodePen and there's lots of React demos on CodePen and I like to see it because it's, you know, it's a sharing of knowledge kind of thing. But of course, in reality, we're all, we're all webpacking our way through React. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, but you're also webpacking your way through Vue. There's like parts of Vue, like Vue.component works without it. But like the the dream state of Vue is authoring in these Vue files, like single file. Yeah, they're beautiful. I got my template up top, my scripts, and then my scope styles at the bottom. They're template up top. Little controversial, I'll say there, Dave. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> scripts on the top. No. You got to have your imports at the top. Otherwise, how do I know what's okay? <laughs> We're going to script oh, on boy. top. Okay. All you template on the top people are crazy. Auto import. I'm just saying, That's for the zero view projects I run, I have some strong opinions about this. Strong opinions on the zero view projects. But I'll always remember that Evan yeah. said, you you can, and many people do, and it's it's almost a 50-50 thing that view is perfectly capable of running as a script tag, right? In the HTML. That's a yes. way that you can use view and is core to kind of the philosophy of of you in a way and that's really cool i know it's appealed to you in the past dave it appeals to me as again as a owner of code pen and how you can use it so efficiently in that way not no no disrespect to the dot view file and it's beautifulness <laughs> but you don't get to use those if you're just running view as a script tag um then all you know just not so long ago rolls out this petite view thing saying that yeah. like this is dis- absolutely truly designed to be used just straight up as a script tag in that Alpine JS kind of vibe, like put some directives on some HTML and rock some stuff. What do you know about that, Ben? Have you poked around? And and, and he yeah. calls it petite because it's literally very small, right? Yeah. To give you some comparison, I think jQuery gzip is like, oh uh, gosh, I want to say it's like 67 kilobytes. Um, and petite view is only f- about 5.8 kilobytes. <laughs> Okay, so it's order of magnitude. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's significantly smaller. And so one of the reasons it's so performant and so small is because it literally uses the HTML on the page as the template. It doesn't inject like a compiler where normal view and actually most frameworks have to like take the DOM, they have to render it into the shadow DOM and they have to like do stuff with render functions in order to like attach things and change things. Petite literally walks the DOM itself and then attaches fine-grained reactivity to the pieces that you declare it to and then it just walks away after that. Um, And I think that's what makes it so effective on the progressive enhancement side. Wow, why even call it view then? Like does it share anything? (laughs) Yes, so it has all like your directives and like um, it has a, a good number of features that are basically similar to Vue. It's just to sort of like Dave's point, you don't get like single file components and a lot of those other things you might naturally do from like a Vue dot component. That would not exist. You would just like, your goal is to attach fine-grained reactivity and then update what you need and then walk away, really. So it's less mm. about like re-architecting your site in a component model, but more like, okay, we have a thing built on Rails. Let's slowly enhance it and then we can eventually move forward. Yeah, that's awesome. 
it's it's certainly clicking with people you know it's clicked with you dave and the the alpine has a freaking conference they run now so like there's people that are into this um approach and to me when i first saw it again i'm not a deep user here so you gotta assault everything i say is that oh so there's still an intense not only nostalgia but use of jquery you know just like Mm -hmm. this is some html and find stuff do stuff and all that and and at the same time a distaste for those quote-unquote mistakes of the past and that that there was some problems with it and i lived through those problems in a big way i lived through the success of it on certain sites and i lived through the pain of it on other sites being like this is fragile this is bug worthy this is hard to reason about there's no there's not enough help for the things i need help for there's too much weight for the things i don't need weight for it's like i get it when people are like jquery's dead to me you know like that was not a good development <laughs> approach and maybe some of it was that it was during that era, I was so discouraged to like to have an inline click handler. You would have been mm-hmm. bastardized. No, you put an ID on the element and then you, you yeah. know, get element by ID or in jQuery, you just did the dollar selector thing. And then you add the click element over there. There's a total separation between yeah. the code that handles the click and the code in the HTML. And that was like gospel. Like you do this, <laughs> otherwise we're going to yell at you, you know, and, and, and that's just gone. These days, it's like if you're going to have a button, that click, there's a click handler in the HTML or the pseudo HTML, you know, like the thing that becomes HTML or the DOM later. And I feel like things like Petite View embrace that. Like, let's not separate that crap anymore. The separation of it was a mistake in a way. Was it a mistake or what's up? You You know, I think like anything, any technological methodology, right? The moment you go pure one way or the other, it always forgets the edge cases and why I think the the two ends even exist. And so, you know, I mean, it's also like, I know like when I was first learning CSS, it was like no inline styles, right? That was terrible. You always, you know, like you said, like you have a class, you have, you try to represent specificity, but clearly like with more sort of dynamic styling now, especially with leveraging that, like inline styles have their place rather than call it like using super high specificity, right? But like, of course, anything else, you have to use it acknowledging the trade-offs and architecting them in a way that doesn't, you know, have weird side effects everywhere. But you know, I think that's the key thing with, you know, these picking these methodologies is understanding the trade-offs when making them rather than just blindly following dogma, right? Like, I think the worst is like, do not repeat yourself. And I just see people arbitrarily abstracting code early on because they're so afraid mm. of repeating themselves. And it's like, there's nothing inherently wrong with repeating yourself. Just don't do it to the point where it slows down development kind of thing. Um, so I'm all about data-driven refactoring. So <laughs> uh, avoid the premature optimization stuff and don't. Like just because I just said, oh, that was you know, maybe that was a mistake to add click binders over there. Now I'm being just as dogmatic as the original <laughs> thing was. No, it's it's interesting. I feel like you know I'm a big fan of vanilla JavaScript. Love to write it, uh, use it. But you know, if you have you write whatever document query selector my button uh, dot add event listener, you know, or you or you loop through a bunch of buttons and add an event listener like. If you do that more than like 10 times, you're just like, man, we are just, you know, (laughs) and it's not just that it's like on load, you got to do stuff and all that. So you do that a few times and you're just like, man, we are just, we're just writing a bunch. (laughs) So you have this, these bricks of code at the bottom just to wire crap up or whatever. And so uh, I kind of, there's some casualness of like at click in, in view and petite view where you're just like at click, do this thing. And it's, uh, I see what it's going to do when I click it. This, I don't have to like go to a different file to find out what happens when I click that button. It tells me what, right. And you don't have to worry about rebinding it either. You know, I remember that when, when Ajax became like more and more popular, there was always that like, sure. You, you know, you query selected for the element, but there's been some dumb changes since then. (laughs) And like, yep. you know, and now I got to worry about rebinding. Like I, like I don't want to. <laughs> so then we wrote everything with these. What what do we, what was it called when you, when you like attach a click handler that just would listen to the bubble up of the thing, like delegated uh, de- event delegation. Or, yeah. 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 Jquery, I think <laughs> yeah and then you're debugging like, problems because some element somewhere stopped propagation on it or something. And you're like, whoa, that was the worst <laughs> bug of my life. Jesus. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's anyway, I, I like Petit View. I did a, my little bookshelf on my website. I added Petit View in there. I wanted this little filters thing. Like you filter by category or whatever for a long time. And like, and I was, you know, and simultaneously I was like searching for like, Oh, I'd like to play with Petit View, but I don't want to make a to-do list. <laughs> interesting. I don't know. Like, I just what you know? Could I do a pro- and then like one Saturday, I just was like, oh, you know what? I could maybe do the filtering in Petit View. And man, it took like an hour, and I, like I just had all these, you know, you know, hundreds of books I've read now can filter by category and stuff like that. So I just it was it was cool. It was successful, and I don't know. It, comparing, it's weird. There's like some to borrow the French term, je ne sais quoi, <laughs> about the difference between something like this and like Alpine. My, my experience with Alpine was very much in a tailwind because that's kind of the default. It was like a tailwind context. And I did not have a good time. And I don't know if that was because of tailwind, like the hundreds of classes kind of turning <laughs> on and off, or if it was like a Alpine thing. I, I can't re- really remember my experience, but like my experience in Petit View was really awesome because I just was... I don't know. I I was working in Vue that week, and then I used Vue on the weekend, <laughs> and it all on my Jekyll site, you know? <laughs> like, and it just was... Nice, nice. You mentioned how fast it was. Is it... What does that mean exactly in this case? Like, the DOM manipulation felt fast? You know, yeah, like, like you would think, I don't know, you're, like, inhaling a library to go, like, just do if, you know, whatever view if v if or whatever mm-hmm. v dash if go do v if on hundreds of divs you'd think like you'd see like some mm-hmm. uh, like groans <laughs> from the browser just like oh yeah i got i got most of them but a few of them are coming in kind of late you know you'd think like you'd feel that yeah no this uh, does feel fast in that actually, way but i thought maybe that would be like css's job or something to but maybe not well, CSS, yeah, I mean, CSS is just displaying nothing, or actually, Vue is displaying nothing. Yeah. Really? Oh, really? So there's really? two different directives in Vue. There's the vif and the vshow, and it's because with the vif, you're actually destroying the DOM element and removing it entirely from. So that way, screen readers and stuff aren't picking okay, it up. Yeah. But vshow will toggle it frequently. So it's basically a performance decision on how often those elements are being like recreated or so like a modal is something you would want to hide and not like destroy and recreate from a performance perspective isn't that like fascinating yeah so that's why we remember i remember in the in the jquery days towards the end not that it's over but the end of like super popular usage that dot show and dot hide in jquery had similar issues and were revamped a couple of times to kind of deal with the kind of the complexities of hide and show one of them being like what if your crap is inline block well you can't Mm -hmm. just like then it has to like remember what it was when you show it again because it can't mm-hmm. just display block it because it's not the correct thing. Like I don't remember if that was all it. This is nicely done though, Dave. I like how it's input radio. So as you're using your filters, you can yeah. even um, you can use the arrow keys. Mouses, arrow keys. Yeah, just arrow keys through it and feel that how snappy it is. It's it's like not groaning at all. I am using view show, so it's just displaying nothing. Yeah, it. perfect. So it doesn't have to like reinject it into the DOM again. Great oh. example of view show. Um, I think you should use opacity. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> I well, all right, I'll take art direction. Yeah. I guess and, <laughs> so. and use a transform scale to get rid of it. So well, immediately I made this, and then uh, Brian Cardell was in my DMs, like saying you could use spicy sections for the years and like make tabs like this tabs thing we're working on in open UI and I might make like a spicy bookshelf, but we'll see one day. It's nice to have side projects, it was... isn't it? I'd hire you just for this day. <laughs> if I was hiring a front end dev and they're like, what's an interesting project you did? I'd be like, look, I used this brand new library and I had these 10 considerations. I made it accessible. I made it fast. I, that's impressive, you know, and you just poop that out in an hour in the afternoon. That's what a senior developer you are, Dave. <laughs> Working on the weekends. Yeah, it's, no. <laughs> For zero dollars. That's, that's basically a senior developer. This episode of Sharp Talk Show is brought to you in part by HubSpot, and specifically HubSpot's CMS Hub. It's a developer-friendly CMS designed to help businesses grow. So on August 3rd, which as I record was yesterday, HubSpot launched a new tier called CMS Hub Starter 
for $25 a month. Hubstarter comes with all the features needed for fast, secure, reliable websites, including SSL, a firewall in front of it, globally hosted CDN, all really good stuff. You know, a lot of CMSs can be like rather opinionated about how you then build the site around the CMS. Well, not CMS Hub, you're still building locally, even though this is like cloud hosting and the CMS is in the cloud and all that, you're still building locally with all these tools and the frameworks you prefer. So however you like to build websites as a front-end dev, you can do it. Uh, from there, if you want to upgrade to CMS Hub Pro or Enterprise for more advanced functionality and develop sophisticated user experience, uses stuff like personalization, which is pretty rad, and dynamic content based on CRM data, also very fancy. Uh, those kind of features are on higher plans. Learn more at hubspotdev.co slash CMS Hub. We didn't talk about Netlify yet. We do have Netlify people on the show all the time. It's because you all hire a bunch of really good people, I think. You're all very interesting. What's life like over there? Uh, yeah, life, life's been good. Um, you know, lately we've had a, a lot of sort of exploration. I think recently there's been, an, we've explored Shopify's new headless um, cart mm. for their storefront API. So that's been kind of fun. And um, just kind of exploring the edges of things. I think one of the tricky things about a team that's either dev rel, dev experience is that a lot of us are specialists in our own areas. So, um, you know, we have like Terra, who's in Angular, you know, Cassidy and React. And so a lot of times it can feel like a bit like a silo when working. And so it's nice to have these sort of group projects that kind of come in together to sort of bring in all our various expertises um, to just, yeah, uh, get to... Ha- so how um, does the Shopify thing work? Do they have API that, t- that is like, what's in my cart right now? Or like, what, so what, what is the end goal that I would build a literal e-commerce site that's powered by Shopify but deployed on Netlify? Does that go that far? Basically, yeah, it's like a headless headless e-commerce. Um, and so what's nice is that previously to, to manage your cart, you needed the admin credentials. And so you can imagine sometimes like on a, on a larger company, you don't want to necessarily share admin credentials with all your developers. So it's nice that they have that sort of storefront API that's more like public key allowed to have kind of thing. And then you can manage the cart and do all those fun things um, using your favorite framework and just deploy it on Netlify and it works. In fact, actually, Jason, if you didn't see his recent Twitter, is selling his little Corgi toy. Um, he built that whole checkout page using uh, the Shopify endpoints we built together. Wow. So Shopify like wants you to do this. They're not saying like, mm, yeah, technically we have APIs, but like happy path is to like stay on Nalavi or stay on Shopify. Oh God, the if eyes is killing me. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then just, and I accidentally type Netflix all the time. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's cool. Like, cause a lot of companies probably have a system, you know, and then you're like, okay, we want to sell stuff. And now you're like, cool. We'll hire liquid developers <laughs> or whatever, you yeah. know? Uh, but, and you can get, you know, I, well, back to petite view would be great for like a liquid site. Uh, but you know, cause you're just like, I think my brother works on a lot of Shopify sites and he's just got all this jQuery going just to get these like configurable products and all this stuff, you know, it's hard stuff, but, um, but yeah, this would go, I mean, I don't know, but if you like already had a system or a design system in something else, you could just leverage that. What about the cart? And I mean, you're saying you have access to cart information, but do you still have to like build your own cart then? And do they have like a cart component or something you can? So stack? not yet, but I that certainly is an opportunity for them to have like a cart component library, right? Or even just within the frameworks to help. Yeah, to be honest, because we had, I definitely had to build my cart from scratch, so that was like managing everything. So it was a yeah. little bit of work, but uh, probably should be something that's open source and shared, so other people can leverage it. Yeah, I mean Stripe does that crap, like right, like you want exactly. a checkout form, mm-hmm. like here's your React component or whatever else kind of component. Yep. Um, it's kind of nice, kind of nice. I just think it's just, it just feels weird for me for some reason. Like, doesn't that open the door for like dark patterns and crap that they wouldn't want you to do through Shopify? I, I think, be, I mean, it is a bit on the newer side. So, like, if you are checking the dots, I believe it's still technically under the unstable API. So, they're basically getting ready to finalize it. So, we got a like kind of a bit of a sneak peek. Uh, but otherwise, I think they're, you know, like a lot of headless solutions, the dark patterns always exist. And, those exploitations, but it's up to the developer if you're going to take that level of freedom to make sure you're responsible with those pieces. So there's some, 
lots of connections between your, you know, your view world and the Netlify world sometimes and things like Vite because Netlify has features like, I think we even had Jason on to talk about it a while back, but like on-demand builders and stuff, which we're seeing interesting use cases for. But wouldn't that be highly relevant to a framework like Nuxt too? Like I have a 20,000 page Nuxt site and I don't want to build them all. So. Oh, like my 12,000 yeah. page Nuxt site <laughs> took like 30 minutes, 40 minutes on no. AWS. Yeah, I'm curious. Is that a 40 minute on. build? Yeah. It was rough. We had to, we had to back out and end up doing a Nuxt server because like the pre-generation just kind of, mm, we couldn't, couldn't do it ethically support it well it just slows you down too you know okay well interesting right so that's kind of what on-demand builders is designed to as far as i know i'm not i'm not super i'm not (laughs) plugged into the netlify world yeah you know it's funny i think a lot of discussion these days around like jamstack and like static site like a lot of people are always like well we were doing this a long time ago why are we making it seem like it's something new and i think it's less about it's like sort of taking the retro techniques we used to use but then like sort of adding the spin with the new kind of capabilities we have so like static site generation for example right like we were doing that way back when but now it's like as we get more advanced with caching and those sort of things are more available then as you mentioned the on-demand builders is think of it for others who are new to this like think of it as incremental static generation so in the sense that like you build your first hunt you build like the hundred pages that you you know are trafficked the most and then the rest of the eleven thousand nine hundred that dave has those are basically are on like the sidelines when people request it for the first time it's built and then cached and then after that it's basically like statically generated quote unquote and then it just pervades from there and that way you don't have the you have like the hybrid approach, which I think is going to be a lot more popular as services offer that for us out the gate. But so, but it's, new, I mean, so it leverages old ideas. And I think that's a strong point, right? Like tr- try not to, it's almost like responsible marketing, which is almost weird. Like why are you even bothering? <laughs> why don't you tell people this is the greatest thing you've ever seen in your entire life and it's brand new and only we can do it. But anyway, um, you have to then tell all these frameworks that already exist and weren't built this way can you please have an API for building one page? I'd say most site builders don't work like that. They build them all because that's what you normally expect. So that, so there's going to be this weird long period, if you can convince them this is a good idea, that they do it at all. <laughs> I think it is, though, because, like for example, I think the dichotomy of the old ideas is like server-side rendered, right? Which is like you have a server that's running all the time with the thing to build. Versus like static, which is you build everything up front. And I think the nice thing about this sort of incremental model is it lives in a bit of both worlds where you don't have to pay the cost of having a server constantly up because you're afraid someone might need to build something. But at the same time, you have like the static generation of the stuff you really care about and then layered on together. So I think that hybrid model will become a lot more popular amongst the frameworks. I think I just in in listening to the Astro people chow, it's a brand new framework that I try to watch because I think it's cool. They like they have this on their radar. Like they know that I think they can sense that this kind of thing is a future thing. And that now that their framework is so new that they can be like, well, we should definitely have an API for page level building. I think they already do so that it's going to support this. I don't think I've seen a demo on Netlify yet, but it's like, you know, don't worry about it. Nobody's I don't think there's a hell of a lot of 12,000 page Astro sites just just yet. (laughs) Um, I, I do have a, a question for you about to help me because because Netlify this show is not sponsored by the way for the people this is just Ben on the show you know but <laughs> yes you, but we do have a buyout price I'll <laughs> yeah. do a full site takeover that's a let's talk but the but Netlify does sponsor not only this show but other things that I do in the past and sometimes when I, I, like I, I'm forced to write paragraphs about Netlify in a positive way force doesn't sound like a good word I, I like writing about Netlify. <laughs> I often I use the word Jamstack because I think people get it, so that's fine. And but I I do often, almost always, end up using the word static hosting somewhere. And I mm. and I wonder if that's stu- if you know because but then I always kind of disclaimer it or talk about how the you can do dynamic things too and how easy it is and that's the point yeah. of Netlify and stuff. Are we going to, should we stop saying static or is static still cool? Like, I I guess I admit that I kind of like the word Mm. a little bit still, but once you're on Netlify, you're starting to do so much. Like, it's kind of the point of Netlify that it's not just static in a way. Like, you've almost reached for Netlify on purpose because of the ability to do non-static things. Right. 
Um, it is it is a tricky thing, right? Because even as I was trying to talk about like kind of the future, right? It is that kind of hybrid, static, on-demand generation kind of thing, right? Um, and so I think it's hard. In fact, even with Jamstack, right? Because I know that term has also like sort of like mixed feelings amongst the community sometimes as far as like, we were doing that before, right? What's new about JavaScript API markup? I think it's more about being intentional about that decoupled architecture so that you know that like when you deploy your front end, that's your front end and versus like these are atomic deploys so that they're unique and you don't have to worry that you're serving up something that's old and cached by accident um, by like an older CDN and that kind of stuff. And it's all taken care of for you, Right. And then so to your point, Chris, then you combine serverless functions on top of then what parts of it are static, what parts are being like, now it's dynamic. It is it's really a, a tricky situation these days. I, I started doing like, I'm working on an application uh, and, and I'm having trouble. It's at the point where I'm having trouble like visualizing how it all works, you know? And so I start, I use MermaidJS, which I think you've used in your uh, yep. Obsidian. I've played with it. It's like a chart builder thing. Right? I love it. It's like... I, I might just put it in every text area I ever write. Like I might just hit my, but it's, yeah, it's, it's basically marked down for charts, like flow charts as complex as you want to get. Um, but I started mapping this out and then I got to the, like, okay, I, we deploy via Netlify and then Nuxt builds and then Netlify builds the serverless function. And it was like serverless functions. How do they fit into like my front end, back end? chart because the code i deployed it to my front end boy <laughs> and now my front end boy is building out this like ghost back end that talks to the database it was it was hard to model even you know and mm. i wonder if that adds the confusion to the you know i don't know just the whole process There's this company called cloud cannon again not a sponsor here at their ceo mike is writing a blog post for me and i was like you know to, you know, we were going through the back and forth. What's it, what's the point and all that. And he, it was kind of like disambiguating some of these terms a little bit, at least in his opinion, because his company is like a Jamstack agency, essentially. And he really disambiguates static and Jamstack in it, which has me thinking about it. He's like, listen, in part of the article is he's like, here's some stuff. And then he applies a label to it. It's like that that's static you know that that's that's dynamic and then there's Mm. these ones where he's like that that's jam stack so he disambiguates (laughs) static and jam stack those are like two different things in his mind and i was like you know what mike i think you might actually be right you know not that you couldn't absolutely host an entirely static site on netlify and have a great experience doing that but um but but to be Jamstack, maybe it's starting to mean it means you're doing something more than static, which is controversial, I'm sure. But no, I, I actually I see I see merit in that actually, and it might actually help people to better understand like that Jamstack is less of a like fixed label on things and just more like a pattern, right, of like architecture rather than like the output at the end of the day. Yeah. It is tricky. I remember a, a Twitter conversation this probably years ago now where somebody was asking, they were curious about the word, curious in that like kind of like put off developer kind of curious, like hitting me <laughs> with like extra hard questions kind of thing. And I'm like, listen, I'm not the Jamstack official <laughs> coiner, but I will tell you my opinion, you know. Yeah. He's like, let's say it's a React site the Rea- and, and it's just a div, div ID root or view yeah. or whatever, like something's got a mount. So when I ship my static HTML, it's a file, it's index.html yeah. with root <laughs> in it. And then from there, it boots up and hits APIs and gets the data and mounts the entire application later. So as far as static files are concerned, it's basically two or three files an index.html file, <laughs> a bundle.js file, and probably a CSS file. But maybe even that we bundle our styles. Maybe it's two files. And they're like, is that Jamstack? And I was like, yes. It's not spiritually Jamstack. Right. But, <laughs> but <laughs> no, it, I mean, that's fair, right? And I think that was one of the challenging things with the way the original acronym was created, right? And that's why it used to be spelled the J-A-M because it was emphasizing like JavaScript, API, and markdown. Yeah. But lately, I think recently, we've changed the spelling to actually go lowercase with just the J's uppercase because mm. it's now more about like that decoupled approach of like... The spirit trying, of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? That's what I like what you said, like the spirit of it in that like it's really more about your content, as much of your content being static as possible, right? Because you're trying to serve things, you know, as close to the user as possible rather than, you know, having to have them jump through hoops. But 
So that was interesting. So is it, you know, that's tricky. Like maybe we could start saying no to that now because it's not in the spirit anymore. And then I asked this question. I forget who I asked. It was somebody from Netlify, I think. Is every single site on the entire net on Netlify, every single solitary one of them, Jamstack? And I think the answer at the time was, yes, they all are. Every single one of them is because that's the, that's what we offer and that's the kind of definition of Jamstack. And I was like, that's weird too, but sure, I guess. But like maybe maybe we start to rethink that a little bit, but I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I'd be willing to question that as well, personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we, we spent a lot of time talking. Is there anything else you'd like to make sure we, we get into this podcast that literally... 15, 20 people listen to. This is a big deal. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> next three. When's next All right. three? Tell me. Yeah, next leak. three deets. Um, <laughs> so we don't have um, week level details, but I can tell you that at this point, for those listening, uh, the public beta is slated for September of 2021 and it's currently going through a private beta. And then the stable is still slated for Q4 um, of release. But, you know, for those who have, if you haven't worked too much with the next team, their stuff is really solid when they release it even in beta. So I recommend once public beta goes out, be sure to uh, basically start playing around with it because it won't change, in my opinion, won't change that drastically between that and stable. So um, I guess a resource for everyone listening would be preview.nuxjs.org, username nuxt, password nuxt, all lowercase, and then you'll be able to kind of keep up with what the team's releasing. Juicy. Thank you. Nice. Exciting. And then I have a, another question. Is is there, okay, Dave Rupert makes next sites, uses view. I feel like there's stuff I don't reach for, like middleware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really touch not, that. <laughs> dude, I don't use that. Is there... Like, is there a resource you'd recommend for somebody who like knows next, but like wants to next level, like maybe the intermediate to expert phase? Yeah, this is, um, so there is a course actually right now, um, by Joss Deltner, who's one of the next ambassadors called mastering nuts. Um, that's a great resource to check out. Uh, so that, uh, that I think they just finished the final lessons recently and then, um, I guess shameless self-plug, but we are also doing a bunch of Nux stuff on the View Mastery side. So if you've enjoyed kind of like animation style, like teaching and video content, um, be sure to check us out there. But otherwise, I do a live streams as well every week. So if you want to have Nux questions and stuff, come by, hang out. Um, but for those who are experienced with Nux, check out Nux content and Nux image. Those two are gigantic game changers from like a, like a developer experience perspective. Um, just the docs there, honestly, will do you a lot of good. So... That's where I'd start. Awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, I guess on that note, we should probably wrap it up. Uh, ben, for people who aren't following you, giving you money, watching your Twitch stream, how do you? Yeah, you can find me on the Internet of Things under the moniker Ben Code Zen. And I think I own all of them. So whereas Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, you name it, Code Pen, I got it all. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Star Heart Favorite Up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And guess what? We got some merch. Hot new merch just dropped. A brand new coffee mug for your. Oh, yeah. That's right. We have a coffee mug now. And, and sip your hot drama in the morning. It's It's. Flying <laughs> off the shelves. And anyway, uh, yeah, and if you want to uh, hang out with us, you can head over to the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Shoptalkshow.com. 